to Build, Lead, Succeed, the official podcast of the National Association of Women in Construction. I'm your host, Angela Highland, and in today's episode, we get the opportunity to sit down with Doreen Bartoldis, the president of NAWIC 2021-2022. So sit back and have a listen and learn about this amazing woman in construction. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Highland with Build, Lead, Succeed, NAWIC's official podcast. And today I am very excited because we have a very special guest, Doreen Bartoldis, PE, CCM Associate, DBIA, ENVSP. Oh, yeah, I'm going to ask you about all that. And in addition to all that, Doreen is NAWIC's new, as of this year, uh, the new national president. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you, Angela. So glad to be here. I really am. Well, I'm really glad to catch up with you. Uh, You know, since we started this podcast, it was right at the beginning of uh, the new fiscal year, which happened in October, and mm-hmm. I was trying to catch up with you at conference, but of course you were running around um, like crazy, and so I thought we could have a better conversation, more focused, and so I'm really glad that you joined me here. Um, I just uh, I want to start. Just uh, want the listeners to know uh, what company you work for and what you do there. And, um, you know, a little bit about your construction story. Oh, man, it could go long. But um, currently I work for Jacobs, Jacobs Engineering. They're an international company. Um, I work out of their New York City office. I'm a manager of projects. That's my title. Um, But I just wear a lot of hats. I do business development. I do uh, project management. And I also do construction management. I have construction projects. And I also have... um, I have, you know, and I supervise people. So I wear all those different hats as the manager of projects with Jacobs. I began my construction career, um, I think it's like 45 years now. No, 40, let's say 43. <laughs> um, I took a very non-traditional path because I didn't go to school right away. Um, but I really, my construction probably started with my my dad and my uncle were all contractors, and uh, my father also became an engineer um, by education. So it was kind of a natural fit construction, but um, I first decided to, I didn't, well, yeah, I got married right out of high school, had my daughter, and very soon became a single mom. So I started working with contractors because I didn't have an education yet, and then uh, went to school at night when my daughter started first grade, and I finished school and got my bachelor's in civil and uh, yes, bachelor's in civil engineering and environmental um, when she was a sophomore in high school. So she went from first grade to her sophomore. I worked for contractors, um, and then when I finished school, I started working for engineering companies. And then I uh, I got my professional engineering license and all those other initials that you <laughs> you read off before. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of impressive. <laughs> so. so- PE, I'm assuming that is a professional engineer? Yes, that's my New York State Professional Engineer's License. Mm -hmm. All right. And what does the CCM stand for? 
That is a certified construction manager through the CMAA, which is the Construction Management Association of America. They certify your experience, similar to a professional engineering license, a little different though, um, but it's focused on construction management and knowing all the phases and the best practices to manage a construction project. Mm. And what about the DBIA? The DBIA is a recent one. When I came to Jacobs, we're looking into uh, doing more design build. So I went and, um, you know, right now I'm a DBIA associate. And then once you work on a few design build jobs, you become a DBIA professional. Um, so I went, uh, did some studying and went to a class and I've done a little bit of design build, not a lot, um, but I went and got that designation to help Jake, you know, help move Jacobs into the design build arena in New York. All right. And ENV? <laughs> The ENV is an Envision um, professional, and that has to do with environmental um, sustainability. I got that one a while ago. I also had gotten the LEED GA, which is uh, more for buildings, and the Envision is more for infrastructure. Um, I got an MBA also later in life, and my MBA is in sustainable business. And so once I while I was studying, I went and got the LEED GA because I did my capstone on doing a um, what they call a report card for sustainability for construction. And um, so then I went, when the Envision came out after I graduated, I went and got the Envision professional just to see what that was all about, so. Ah, and the SP, does that go with that? Yeah, ENVSP, it's an Envision, uh, I'm forgetting what they, exactly what the SP stands for, but you know, sustainability professional, that's what it is. Gotcha, wow. Well, and I guess you just don't have any room to put all the other initials on there. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah, and you know, I always think it's interesting because you know, when in a, in a in a NAWIC meeting and people are doing self introductions, you get people with all kinds of initials, and there's so many, I, like I've not heard of any of these specific initials, but you know, credentials are credentials, and I think they should be honored. We always try to talk about them when we can. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times where NAWIC is concerned, they're usually attached to NEF. So it's kind of right. nice uh, and refreshing. Um, you certainly, um, you know, you, that's impressive. That's really impressive. And I know you've earned every single one of those. So, so Thank tell, you. Me, well, tell me a little bit about your journey. I mean, you, you did tell me a little bit as far as the simple part, but what what made you decide to get into construction and how have you seen it grow, uh, you know, for yourself over the years, your career? Sure. Well, actually in high school, I used to think I would become an architect. I know that, so it's not too far from construction because I was like, I was like kind of an artist. My, all my, my three sisters are actually um, masters in fine arts and I, um, I was also very good at math, so I thought I would like, so at that time, which was like the early 70s, no, late 70s, mid 70s, um, you know, that was the natural thing to think about was architecture. Engineering was not really something um, my old girls high school was pointing me in the direction of, but I figured I would become an architect. So when I did decide to go back to school, I actually my, took my father's advice and took business first. I started getting into business and then I looked into the architecture again. So I was going to community college and I took a civil technology course at the community college and I was taking, 
I was studying with a uh, with an architect, and I realized, you know, when I talked to him, and I went and talked to an engineering advisor, my advisor at that community college, um, and I thought about going civil technology and doing architecture. Um, my advisor said, well, if you want to work for somebody, that'll be good. Go for civil technology, he said. But if you want to be the boss, go for engineering or engineering science. So I ended up moving into the engineering. Um, and I got an engineering science degree at my community college. And then I went to Polytech in Brooklyn, which is now NYU in New York City, um, for my civil engineering degree. And while I was doing that, I I ended up getting jobs with construction companies. I was a drafts person in high school. Um, so I, you know, I just kind of did whatever I could do without a degree and I became a surveyor. I worked for um, a small general contractor. I did estimating, I did office management actually for him. And then I moved to and did estimating for a large civil heavy highway contractor. And once I got my degree, I went to work for an engineering company. And then to get my PE, I had to do some design. So I spent some time doing design work, but as soon as I could, I wanted to get back into construction. Um, so as soon as I got my PE, I moved back and became, um, I asked, to, you know, while well, I got a job to be an, a field inspector. And then from field inspector, I just continued to work my way up to resident engineer, construction manager, business developer, and here I am now. Hmm. That's how wow. that's how it went. <laughs> So how many along your journey, uh, you know, through these 40 years, how many women have you seen out there doing the same thing that you've been doing in the engineering field? Is it, do you see a lot of them? No, in school, um, in my community college, I met one other woman. And then when I got to, uh, when I was going for my bachelor's, there was two other women and one of them I'm still in contact with, actually, we graduated together. And uh, when I got out to the field, there were some, so in the 80s, they were sporadic. There was a woman carpenter I had met once out in the field. I met a woman oiler who does the paving, um, but they were far and few between. Um, when I got into uh, inspection, I did not meet any other women inspectors. Wow. Um, I think, I think NAWIC actually existed at the time on Long Island, but I didn't, I had never met up with anybody from NAWIC, unfortunately because that would have been fabulous. So when I uh, started working in the city and I started moving up the chain with my, as a resident engineer and construction manager, there were no other, there was one other woman resident engineer that I had met out of, I don't know, there's a million resident engineers in, in New York City. I am meeting a few more. I'm actually with Jacobs. There are, um, there, there's several other managers of projects like myself, and um, they're my peers. And I actually work with two other women who are managing their departments on the construction management side. And my boss and my boss's boss are women, and that's the first time I've ever seen that. So, so kudos to Jacobs because I think uh, they're some, doing something right because this is the first time, this is the first time I've seen that many women in, this, in that kind of position, especially on the construction side. Yeah, I'm so starting to see. Yeah, I'm starting to see more and more of it as well. It's really encouraging. I mean, now we know we're up to 10%, but now there, there's a lot of people saying we've actually passed the 11%, so we just got to keep striving, right? Yes. I think that's the best thing that we can do, and I think that's what um, you know, NAWIC's really trying to do is get out in front of that and really push and, and get a spotlight on that and give women the support that they need and the tools that they need yes. to 
not only learn a craft, but also to be leaders and, and move up the, the chain. For sure. Yes, yeah. totally. <laughs> so how long have you been a member of NAWIC? I've been a member since, um, well, I thought it was 2004, but every time they give me my paper, it's 2005. So it's about seven, 16, 17 years. <laughs> and you've always been in, in New York chapter? No, actually, I signed up in New York. I joined when I was in New York, and I joined because my company was looking to do more diversity, and they sent me out to find a women's organization, um, and I found NAIC. Then I moved to California very shortly after that to do, um, I, started, I started to want to do business development to advance my career. So I went and joined the LA chapter. I transferred to the LA chapter. So I was in the LA chapter for a couple of years, and that's when I actually got on the board first. I was, they brought me in as a director on the board. Um, I moved back to New York uh, a couple of years later to do a big project back in New York, and um, we ended up um, chartering our own chapter in Lower Hudson in Westchester County, New York. I chartered a chapter uh, with a couple of friends of mine, and we had that chapter for about nine years, and then we eventually merged it with New York chapter again, so I'm back in New York. <laughs> Wow, so East Coast and West Coast. Now I, yes. I have a better understanding because you you definitely seem to have. Uh, I just noticed it at the conference that we were at that you had support mm -hmm. not only from your Northeast girls but also from the West Coast. So that's kind of cool. Yes, yes. I knew Cindy Johnson, who's the past national president. I met her at a career fair in California um, when I was already a member of NAWIC, but we started talking. She became president several years later. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, I've known a lot of those women for many years, so it's great. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to move up the national board? And and how long did it take you to get where you are today? So there was a time when I moved back to New York and the Lower Hudson chapter started to kind of flounder. And the New York chapter was kind of floundering a little. And this is before, you know, we have eight regions now. We used to have 16 regions. Right. And we were region one. I was in region one. And so the things were a little iffy. And I started to be like the sort of a lone wolf trying to maintain the chapter. Uh, and I was like, I had been present a couple of times. Then I was basically treasurer because I was carrying around the, the uh, you know, the bank, the bank account with me to make sure um, we kept the chapter going. So I actually had thought about like, well, maybe I should just give this up. And I said, no, NAWIC, you know, we, I, you know, NAWIC is, is there for women. It was, it's good for me. There's a lot of people I know. I, I just need to rebuild this and kind of think of it. And then we merged. And when we merged, that gave that a lot more life back into, like the region started sort of, um, I would say that when there's a critical mass, there's more power in numbers. And when we started having reunion conferences and things and there was more people, that kind of gave more energy, it gave more energy to me and it gave more energy to all our chapters. Um, so from there, they started, uh, Catherine Schoenberger, as you know, past national president, you've spoken to her before. She was the region 14, which is our adjacent region and region one and 14 merged together. She was director and she started asking me, why don't you run for director? And I said, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> now I'll keep doing my thing you know, be president. And I was doing a lot for my jobs. I was changing jobs, but I was also doing, I was became a regional vice president for Gannett Fleming. So I was all over the place. I forget 
or, or CDM, but I was doing a lot of traveling for my jobs and things. So I was like, no, no, no. Um, but then I actually started teaching. I was an adjunct professor at Stevens Tech and I had some young female students and I had a female student come up to me one night, very upset, said she had gotten, um, you know, called out like a cat cold. I'll just call it cat cold. And I think, um, yeah, cat cold. I'll just use the nice term cat cold at a job site. And she was very upset. They had, she was from Brazil and they said it to her in Portuguese and she knew what they said in Portuguese because she could understand, you know, Spanish. Um, so I said, did you talk to your boss? You know, but she was so upset. And I was like, and this was only uh, 2015, right? And uh, so I was incensed and I was like, okay, you know, we still need Wit NAWIC. NAWIC still needs to empower our women. We need to um, educate the men. So I kind of drove home incensed and the next, I think it was that weekend, I went up to uh, the, the fall conference and announced I'm gonna run for director. <laughs> Sometimes and it so takes just a little bit of a fire, right? This takes a little bit of something. That's right. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it, and I said, "What? Nawick needs to move forward. We need to be here for these other women." So that's what drove me to, to run for office. And well, and here you are. You've worked your way up <laughs> uh, over a number of years. It's you know, it mm -hmm. is a commitment to make to strive up to the highest seat, and so. Mm -hmm. You're in it now, and how are you feeling about your presidency? You're a couple of months in. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. a couple of months. So how's it going so far? Um, it weirdly feels comfortable, but it's busy. Yeah. I think, I think I've been preparing for this for a while. Um, I'm comfortable in leadership anyway, I guess. You know, I know that sounds weird. Um, obviously, you know, I have a board that's, and a team that is helping me uh, with all the sort of naywiki kind of things, or you know, I have a parliamentarian and all the things that we have to do, um, you know, per Robert's Rules of Order, things like that. But I, as president right now, um, I'm both humbled and um, and amazed because now I'm I'm going out to I'm meeting chapters are asking me to attend their chapters. So I got on with Minneapolis uh, and Houston virtually. I went up to see New Hampshire. I went to the Pacific Northwest Conference, and it's when I meet these other women, and they come up and talk to me, and they um, they feel inspired by me. It's it's a it's in a it's a it's humbling, Angela. You know, it's it's humbling, and it's and I'm realizing little by little I'm having impact. And if I'm I've told people in the past, if I'm having impact on one or two people, that means the world to me, and that's you know. So even though I'm president and this could be you know, a great thing, I just feel like having that kind of impact if people read my story or they hear my story, I think that's probably one of the most important things I do as president. So Yeah, and I think that okay. that is super important for, for people to hear because sometimes mm -hmm. people think you have to come in with a big splash and you gotta mm -hmm. do all of these incredible things and, uh, you know, accomplish achievements and, you know, these big giant goals. And that's nice to have. But sometimes just people hearing that journey and they see that you have driven your career, you have made choices, you know, followed your, 
your journey and that journey has led you here. Uh, mm -hmm. We all have that story of Nawick and how we got in and why we stayed in. But just mm -hmm. by watching you go, that is inspiring because mm -hmm. it's it's not for everybody and that's okay, right? Not everybody yeah. wants to do it. And that's, you know, no. some people mm -hmm. feel bad. They're like, well, I feel less than. And it's not about that. It's just some people want to take that path and some people don't. And so I think right. it is inspiring and, and it can be very humbling, I would imagine, when you do that and all of a sudden you're in the spotlight, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So, so I, I am an admirer. I think that that's a, such a cool thing. <laughs> it's probably not something I would ever do either, but you know, for what it's worth, I'm, I'm glad you said we'll that. See. <laughs> yeah. We'll okay. see. Okay. We'll so <laughs> as president, you, uh, you have been able to set your own agenda. And part of that agenda, you have a theme, Envision Equity. So how did you come up with that theme and why? Because I think that's the that's the ultimate goal. So I, I went through a lot of iterations. I was thinking community, community bridges. I was kind of trying to kind of come up with something catchy. Um, we're doing a lot of DE&I and um, I was going back over our actually our new charter and what the um our founders had proposed for us and i said you know it's just about us being treated equitably in the industry and so so it's kind of a a call to action that's how i came up with it i said this is if there's anything i've stri been striving to do is to be treated myself equitably within the industry so all my career, I've been sort of um, trying to turn those corners, make sure I got the right, you know, my pay was as equitable, you know, with the with the guys who are doing the same job I am. I'm finally caught up. It took years for me to be caught up with the, the guys who are at the same level as me. And now it's kind of, it's basically law, right? Or it's, you know, companies don't do it. They're kind of not, not right. But um, but also just being treated with respect when you walk in the door, you know, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So my my vision is for a woman to walk in a room and be treated the same way as any guy who walks into the room and not have all these biases behind it. So I just want everyone to envision that. I want men and women to envision that equity. Um, so. You know, and that's that's the ultimate goal is that equity. So that's sort of a call to action for this year is for if we envision it or vision, you know, if we have a vision in front of us, we can kind of take the the steps to get there. Yeah, and I think so that it. it's it, we need to envision that for ourselves too. Um, Correct. You know, not just want it, want mm -hmm. other people to do that for us, but for us to envision mm -hmm. that because I think sometimes that feels a little odd, like we want it, mm -hmm. but then when we get, you know, we're not quite <laughs> sure how to go get it sometimes. Right, yes. We've got, there's, I hate to say there's a game to be played, but there is a game to be played. You've got to be able to go in, maintain your own feminine skills that, you know, your unique talents that you bring to the table as a woman, mm -hmm but right. also fit into a world that has traditionally been populated by men 
and mm -hmm. they're not always sure how to handle a woman in a position that you're in. So yes. I think it's um, it's an important call to action, and I think today uh, with DE and I being in so many mm -hmm. places, um, we're always mm -hmm. out there trying to um, educate people. Right. Uh, that's become a a big task for NAWIC is trying to get out on the front end of that and and really communicate that. And you've got a great committee. Uh, I think they made a lot of headway last year. So I thought mm -hmm. your your theme was very timely. And one mm -hmm. of the things that we've been talking about just in various circles, other women that I've talked to is how broad that subject matter can be. Yes. It can be very controversial. <laughs> and a mm -hmm. lot of people think DE and I, oh, well, that's about race. Well, no, it's that's might be no. one small part but it is so much bigger than that. There are so many layers to it. And mm -hmm. we ought to talk more about those layers. Um, and and those are the conversations that I'd like to have. So I really love that you had that theme because I was like, oh great, we can just walk through this door. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm glad you we will. So, um, so yes, and I have some other things I'm focused on, infrastructure and membership development, et cetera. But Envision Equity was really just, I just want everybody to kind of, that's where that's where NAWIC needs to go, right? That's where yeah. I want women to see themselves I want, and I want men to see, you know, we should just, it just should be equitable across the board. One of the things I really like about equity as a whole is because one of the things people don't realize about construction is that with women in construction it is such a broad scope it is not mm -hmm. just women in the field um, and it's not just administrators in the office it is yeah. so big right there's truck drivers mm -hmm. there's engineers there's uh, construction law attorneys um, uh, just it goes on and on and on. There's so many layers and people don't realize, like, for example, I brought up in a previous podcast how at the conference, uh, there was a, a young woman at the conference that said, well, I'd like to be a member, but I, I wouldn't qualify. And I said, well, why not? And she says, well, because I work for construction software, but I'm I'm just in the marketing department. And I said, well, that you absolutely qualify. And <laughs> yes. she didn't realize that Mm -hmm. She could do that, and I don't think a lot of people do. And right. not only are we diverse in our careers, but we're very diverse just in our uh, our backgrounds. Um, mm -hmm. I one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was ageism, because mm -hmm. you and I, I've been in construction a little almost twenty years. You've been in it almost forty years. But, mm -hmm. you know, we're not 20. And I know that when I'm out in the field, I run into things that maybe people think that I am too old to work in construction. Like, they know that I'm <laughs> experienced, but, you know, if I've let my hair color go a little bit too long, 
right? And so right. there's a name for it, and that's ageism. And so I thought that that would be something I'd like to get your take on that and see mm -hmm. if you've dealt with that at all. And and what do you what what can be done about this? How should we approach this out in the workforce? Um, well, I've I've had the obvious ageism, and I've had the uh, subtle, right? So um, I did let my hair go gray. So generally, people and if, if if you when I let my hair go gray, I went from Miss, and I, this is no joke, I went from Miss to Madam. People would oh, wow. treat me differently. When I went gray, like, you know, when you just go to the grocery store, they go, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I was like, before that, it was yes, miss. Yes, miss, can I help you? Um, and then also, I get darling a lot or sweetheart or, wow. uh, and I never used to get that. Well, you know, they're treating me more like, you know, their mother or something. I don't, you know, I don't know. So, so that has happened in a way. And I kind of noticed that you know, anecdotally, just everywhere, you know, here and there. And when people are dealing with me, you know, doctor's office or whatever, oh, yes, sweetie, yes, sweetheart. And I'm like, uh, who, what, you know. <laughs> so, and that really yeah. came after I let my hair, okay? I used to be blonde, and then I let it go. It's kind of, you know, I don't know, salt and peppery. Um, with work, same, a similar thing happened. Actually, they called me a gray hair before I became gray haired because, because they needed people with experience and I got pulled into a job because they needed people with experience and they said, we're going to, you're one of the gray hairs. And I went in with a guy who actually had gray hair to kind of solve some problems on this project. Um, so that was interesting. And that was when I was about um, in my mid forties or so. So, uh, but more recently, it's more what I'm hearing. You hear, um, On, and I don't want to accuse Jacobs of this because they're not really doing it. I don't think they're, you know, because I am going to be part of a, a leadership thing with them soon. But you'll hear people say, or well, maybe it's not just Jacobs. Companies say we're looking for uh, up and coming, up and coming people, or they'll say we're looking for our uh, our superstars, the people who are going to be. So you see them looking for people that they want to put into like leadership, they want to mentor up into leadership positions. And I totally understand that, but I don't know if they understand that the language coming to me is saying to me that you don't think I'm sticking around. I've right. been around, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm actually pretty new at my job, so I can't really blame them for not, and it's not, nothing is directed at me, but it's sort of the language that's coming out that it's, you know they're going for more junior people. You know they're looking to get people to to kind of stay. Um, so they're looking for those people to come into leadership, or they're looking for those super, and they call them superstars, or you know whatever Fresh else. Talent. So mm -hmm. it's it's more yeah more subtle. And then I've had the direct thing where on the job site, um, you know, I walk in and um, actually this just happened recently. I was in a meeting. I sat in the meeting. Uh, it was all the guys around the table. <laughs> uh, one of the women, she's and she's younger than me. She's she's my um, my client, and she was in the in the room. And there was a couple of people there who had like manufacturers. We they hadn't met me before, but the contractor knew me. But they completely when I walked in the room because I was in, came a little later. I kind of sat down and was listening in. 
um, they were all talking amongst each other. And I made that, you know, I made a suggestion and they just kind of turned around and they, and they, he went back to talking, right? And they did the thing where they, uh, somebody else made the suggestion and then they took it. You know, you, you know, that thing where they, if you make a suggestion, <laughs> so, so I got up later to introduce myself to this. He was a designer. I got up to introduce myself to him. And I said, you know, I'm the construction manager here. He goes, oh, I realized that later, you know, I was like, okay, you know, mm -hmm. so he was kind of ignored. Now I'm not sure if there was ageism or, but, you know, I had a client there, but they, he just didn't even, they didn't even assume that I belonged there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I also had a job interview. Um, it was a while ago, but I had a job interview and they, they asked me, do you think you're going to retire soon? And that was totally wrong. They should not have asked me if I was going to retire soon. You know, that's kind of against the rule. So, so it's happening. It could be subtle. It could be direct. You know, I laugh yeah. at all. I go, no, I don't have no plan to retire anytime soon. So right. I think that the, it's, a, it's a bias. And I think sometimes it's, People don't think it's a bias, but it is. And where I'm seeing it is in the hiring process. There's a lot of people, of course, you know, uh, well, construction didn't take too bad of a hit with the pandemic, but a lot of people, you know, were experiencing this great resignation and you've got all of these people that have, are out of work and maybe they're trying to find new jobs. And I think what's going on behind that is people don't want to work for crappy people anymore. I really think that's part of it. I don't think it's laziness. I think people just don't want that kind of stress in their lives and they want to go work for a nice person. And when you get right. out there, and I dealt with this at the beginning of the year, I hadn't interviewed for a job in 25 years. And wow. suddenly I had to get back into the workforce and it was nerve wracking. And I know that, you know, they're not supposed to look at your age and all of these things, but when they meet you and they talk to you, they know you're not young. I mean, I, I don't look 90, but you know, they know I've been around for a while <laughs> and sometimes your experience isn't enough. And mm -hmm. there's a, what I've been hearing from several women who, you know, are on the other side of 50. They're like, you know, mm -hmm. they know I'm experienced, but they, they're not sure they want to take a chance on me. And mm -hmm. maybe they think it's hormonal. Maybe they think it's because I don't have what it takes to keep up. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I, or maybe I won't stick around long because maybe I'm going to retire. I'm not exactly sure, but, um, there's a lot of women really struggling and feeling like they are becoming insignificant, even right. though they have so much to bring to the table because of the experiences that they've had in the industry. Now, luckily I had a, um, the person that I interviewed with, um, he was an older guy and he was looking for experience. And he told me that he said, I need somebody that's been around the block for a while. And I think that you would fit into this position well, but I know many, who have not had that kind of luck. So mm -hmm. what do you think is, what do you think is the key? Like how can these women advocate for themselves when they go into these interviews? Well, they just need to know, they need to know that that question shouldn't be asked. Um, you know, the way I handled it was, 
you know, I just said, no, I have no plans of retiring. And, you know, I, I didn't put the person down or anything like that. Um, I was actually kind of shocked by it. But it's just stand your ground and say, well, I'm here because, you know, this I bring this value. You know, you just have to know yourself and go in with your value. And if they're not going to hire you because of your age, I guess you just, probably just don't want to be there anyway. But um, it really comes down to go if, if you really want the job and you know who you are, you will go in and, and just kind of you'll skirt or pass that kind of question. Um, if I had to interview now again, I don't plan to ever interview again. <laughs> just, and actually, this particular job, um, actually, Jacobs was very good, and they, I was recruited with Jacobs. So I knew people, I was, you know, the networking around. So when they brought me in, they knew, you know, I already knew they were looking to hire me, you know, kind of deal with my experience and things. So that was a unique position to be in. Um, I've been very fortunate like that. So when, you know, the, my last few jobs, I've been recruited, not that I had to go looking. Um, so, so I think like you, like, like you were saying before, you have experience, there's value in that. And actually right now, there's a big gap and we all know this, there's a big gap between the younger, uh, up and coming, starting their careers and people who are maybe going to retire. Um, there's a big gap in there. There's a big workforce missing, especially in engineering. So, so there's a, a lot of value to experience right now. And companies just need to hold on to that. And mm. I think they're realizing. And they need, they need the mentors. They need, you know, they need that. So I think companies are realizing they can't just send somebody out the door. I mean, there's always business case decisions, but if you have experience and you bring value and you can mentor younger staff, there's no reason they should be hiring you or you should feel bad about being in an interview or anything like that. So right. just confident, I guess, fake it till you make it, Angela, I guess. <laughs> Isn't that the everything, right? I, I think you touched on a really good thing earlier and that was about, um, finding your voice in those moments mm -hmm. you know when you're sitting there if they're questioning being able to give your value at right your proposition what you bring to the table and talking to someone and maybe giving them that perspective you know i can be a good mentor right. to other people and i've got mm -hmm. skills to bring to the table i wouldn't need as much training or you know whatever exactly. the case may be and that seems to be the a bigger issue with women as a whole sometimes we struggle to find our voice especially in you know male populated industries we're not quite sure where to put our voice that it's heard so right. i think that's an important message that a lot of women and especially younger women need to hear as they're go mm -hmm. as they're moving up and uh advocating for themselves and aligning themselves with mentors that can help them get there mm -hmm. So I remember when I was about, I was like actually about 40, I walked onto this job site and I was, I had just started working in New York City. I worked on Long Island and I had just started working in New York City. And I had just gotten my professional license uh, a couple of years before. And I just, 
I was in meetings with all these guys and I was kind of looking around the room going, you know, I know what they know. I'm, I'm pretty smart. I can, I can run a meeting like this. And I, I kind of just looked around and said, you know, I could check all these boxes that these guys are checking. There's no reason why I shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Cause I was an assistant resident engineer and they were resident engineers. And I walked out to the job site uh, and, you know, it was, it was still grass cause they were going to be putting in these uh, digesters. But anyway, I kind of stood out there, I was looking and I was kind of envision, envisioning, <laughs> envisioning what the job was going to look like in the future. And I had one of those, you know, aha moments. I said, you know what? I belong here. And since that day, Angela, I have not turned back. I belong in construction. I belong right where I was. I, kn I knew just as much as everyone else there. Um, you know, if you don't know the answer, you know where to get the answer. It's just be confident, you, you know, when you're you're at a job for a reason. Just there's no reason. I just said, and I believe, believe me, that the, that day I never turned back. I just said, I belong here. If anybody gives me a hard time, I'm, you know, this that's I'm just going to keep moving on. I'm going to brush it off and keep moving on. So, well, I think that's a great message for many women mm -hmm. to hear because it does it it takes a certain amount of confidence to to do what you've done. And um, I'm I'm really grateful for it, and I'm I really appreciate you sharing that message because that's what this podcast is all about. It's getting these messages out to women that are out there of any age, of any background, uh, and any job in construction, so that so that they can feel like they're not alone. And here, even if it's just the smallest thing that's going to help them move into the position that they they want and stand up a little taller and have that attitude about it so i really appreciate you you saying that no problem also yeah. to to add to the um you know all those initials you know getting my pe and ccm i i you know besides being type a i one of the reasons i did that was so that nobody could tell me i couldn't do it so you know i went and got my professional engineering license so that nobody could tell me I couldn't move up. I couldn't do, you know, so I just made sure nobody could tell me no. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a personal mm -hmm. journey too. You know, you do what you think you've got to do mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that they don't question you because they will. I get questioned every day. I mean, it just, it happens <laughs> and you have to kind of be a duck, right? You got to let it roll right. off and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, stand your ground when you need to, but otherwise mm -hmm. uh, hold your head high and keep moving forward. So. I really appreciate yeah. you joining me today. It was great to get to know you better. I think, um, you know, well, the NAWIC members out there will certainly enjoy it. And I think your story will inspire others. And uh, yeah, great job. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm looking forward to the rest of your year. And uh, maybe we'll do this again at the end of your year and look back and, mm -hmm. and get your insights. That'd be fabulous. That would be Very great. Fabulous. All right. Well, thank you, Thanks, Dorian, Ian. so much. I appreciate it. Isn't she something? I really enjoyed my time with Doreen. I'm really grateful she was able to join me and get to know her a little bit better. I'm really excited for the year ahead and to see what she'll do as president of the National Association. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me and thank you to TouchPlan, our partner and producers for the show. Thanks, TouchPlan. 
We'll see you next time. And just remember, we are just getting started.